This week continues our sermon series called Remaking the World. And today's passage comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. It provides a glimpse of the way in which the first generation of Christians were figuring out what remaking the world looked like for them, both as individuals and in community. Listen now for God's spirit behind these words this morning. A reading from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Now it is not necessary for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing and abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Here ends the reading. It's Mother's Day. When I found out I was picked to preach our sermon today, I wanted to delve deeper into the history of this holiday. In our country, Mother's Day has been an official holiday since 1914, but it turns out there are countless precedents of people and places creating annual traditions that lift up and celebrate motherhood. Mothering Sunday, for example, was a festival in early Christianity during which people returned to their mother church for a special service. Another example comes from the life of Anne Reeves Jarvis, who organized in 1868 something she called Mother's Friendship Day in West Virginia, where she lived. She sought to bring together mothers with former soldiers from both the Union and the Confederate side of the Civil War, which had just happened. Her hope was to create a space that remade and reconciled the broken world of our country at that time. She did this for years before her death, or until her death in 1905, and this inspired her daughter, Anna Jarvis, to conceive of Mother's Day. Anna spent the next decade after her mother's death organizing in order to make it the nationally recognized holiday we celebrate today. It's Mother's Day, and this one is particularly exciting for me. As I prepared for the pulpit this morning, I've kept on picking up my phone to check for updates as a couple of my closest friends are about to become mothers themselves. I remember when Amy first told me that she and her wife Carly were interested in becoming moms and that she wanted to carry a baby herself. She had so much to think about. How would she go about getting pregnant? Would it not be more responsible to adopt? Yet, Amy could not shake this desire deeper than any doubts or questions. She and Carly felt called to create life in this way, 
remaking the world by shaping the next generation with a child of their own. Fast forward and Amy's pregnant with a due date of May 9th tomorrow. Any moment she will birth a baby into our world and I cannot wait to welcome this child and to watch these women mother together. It's Mother's Day. I'm preaching our second sermon in a series called Remaking the World. And I wonder, what wisdom for remaking might we learn from those who mother? Our series was inspired by a mom who recently spoke here at our church. Krista Tippett's conversation with us was called Remaking the World. And she began with an invitation to think about what we have learned in the species moment of the ongoing pandemic. The world is changing. We must consider how we are changing with it. And Krista helped us think about how together we can change or remake the world along the way. One of the simple and surprising moments came after someone asked, when was the last time you've been amazed? Krista immediately spoke about her children, sharing how they amaze her with the new ways they teach her to see our absurd and awesome world. It is such the right season to be having conversation about remaking the world. As the natural world around us springs to life with vivid greens and pinks and yellows, we continue the Christian season of Eastertide. This season is one in which we explore new ways that resurrection is woven and remakes our world as God's own Easter spirit remakes and raises us to new life. Our scripture today, which might have been a little confusing, comes from this vague conversation of first-generation Christians figuring out what it meant to be raised to new life and to remake the world. Before his conversion, Paul, the author, was an elite religious leader that persecuted the subversive Christian movement. He wanted to remove the risk they posed to the religious and social order from which he benefited. But Paul had been converted, transformed, and gave up everything, his wealth, his power, his stability, to commit to and eventually help lead this movement that raised him to new life. Paul had become a sort of adoptive parent to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, he discusses how he did not create this community, but had come to nurture, tend, and care for the life growing among them. But Paul was not the only parent of this movement. There were others who nursed the vision of the Corinthians. Scholars believe that there was was another set of leaders in the Corinthian church, a group of influential women who mothered the movement, though they were most likely not biological moms themselves. In a world in which women's identity was really often reduced to having children, these women didn't conform. Unlike Paul, they came from the margins of society, and they had no real wealth, power, or stability. But in Christ, they found freedom from expectations they could not embody and from an unjust and burdensome world. They were raised to new life in a community that did things differently. In those first Christian churches, resources were shared with everyone so that everyone was taken care of. So these women in Corinth, who were invisible to the outside world, who were in the church, cared for and celebrated as visionary leaders and as mothers to the movement. But Paul doesn't quite get it. 
Throughout both, both first and second Corinthians, he's critical of these women. Yet something shifts in our passage today. As he discusses how people should give to the wider Christian movement, Paul invites his readers, and I have a hunch invites himself, to give in trust and without trying to control the outcome. He says to surrender one's gifts to the growth of God's abundant spirit who takes and transforms both the gift and the giver. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that it's not the one who plants or waters, but only God who gives the growth. This idea is reminiscent here as Paul describes the work of remaking the world as surrendering to God's own growth. God like the light that grows the green of this and every spring. There is indeed exceptional wisdom to learn from the organic processes of growth we find in Mother Nature. Robin Wall Kimmerer is a professor of ecology and biology, a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation, and an all-around plant lover who explores the intersection of these things and more in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass. I wanted to be a good mother, that's all. Somehow this led me to hip waders filled with brown water. These words are the words she uses to describe her move to a new home with her two daughters. Their property had a spring-fed pond nestled in the woods that Robin and her two kids wanted to transform into a swimming hole, but it was so old and so grown over that the pond was more algae than it was water. But Robin dedicated herself. She tried and failed and tried again to change and clear up the pond. From falling out of a canoe in the middle of the pond trying to scoop out the algae to raking out from the pond's sides, Robin attempt, or surrendered herself to a dynamic process. Each tweak, each learning, each new attempt to rebalance the pond's ecosystem taught her that the job is never over. It simply changes from one task to the next, balancing the giving and the taking, the raking out and the putting in. While even after years of work, Robin never completely converted the pond into a perfect swimming pool, the process changed her along the way. Life unfolds in a growing spiral, she says, and transformation is not accomplished by tentative waiting at the edge. Braiding sweetgrass has been informative and transformative for Amy as she's prepared to become a parent. She's learned not to emphasize the end, the goal, but the process and the growth. Instead of trying to control how everything will turn out, Amy tends to the present part of the process, and she knows that giving birth will be surrendering to this process of mothering that itself will become a growing spiral of life. Maybe when we think of remaking the world, we must think more in terms of growth than goal. Theologian Catherine Keller, who developed what she calls a theology of becoming, emphasizes how God's own spirit works through growth and process, not narrow goals or precise purpose. In one book, she shares a story from a friend of hers who is a mother. This friend had three children in two years, said it became very clear early on, such as day one, that control was not possible. 
Instead of getting in their way and trying to run their play, I had to arrive at some other mode of being with them as they are. So she would invite friends with other young kids over, which only added to the chaos. But she reflected, if I were willing and able to let the children jostle, mess around, explore for about 45 minutes with the ground rules of not hurting each other or the home, they would come up with something that they loved to do together. Some game, project, make-believe that would keep them positively, joyfully engaged for hours, all of them. Catherine Keller uses this story as an analogy for how God loves and mothers us. Love does not control, she says. It opens a space of becoming. God the spirit in whom her children grow in wisdom. God the wisdom who lets be her children in whom she delights. This God of becoming is one who meets us where we are and mutually transforms us in the process. As Krista Tippett said here in her reflection on being a mom, loving through the growth of life in any capacity will break you open in beautiful ways and ways that you think you can't survive. Anything that does that shapes you. Paul's encouragement to the church in Corinth was to give bountifully, not reluctantly or under compulsion, Maybe because he didn't quite get the experience of everyone in that church, he was able to simply say, to give with a mind made up and faith of a God who takes our gifts and transforms them beyond anyone's expectations or understanding. The type of giving that Paul describes lets go of control and it opens up space for becoming. It's a relational and not a transactional form of co-creating something together, and it acknowledges how it is indeed God who grows our efforts of remaking past any of our own ownership or opinion. It's Mother's Day, and it's also stewardship season here at our church. As a community, we're thinking really literally and tangibly about the ways we give to remake the world through our support of and participation in this congregation. How might we give our own gifts in trust of God's transformation? How might we see the effort and work we do together as churches, something we cannot fully control? How might we surrender ourselves to God's spirit over organic, spiraling, and ever-growing life? Anna Jarvis learned herself what it was like to surrender to the spiral. She was 44 the first time she hosted the first Mother's Day celebration at a Methodist church in May 1908. Her success there emboldened her to imagine a widespread holiday that, in its own way, remade the world in which most public celebrations focused on the achievement of men. Anna herself never married and had no children, reminding us that mothers are more than those who have babies of their own. When President Wilson established Mother's Day nationally in 1914, I'm sure Anna felt like a proud parent of what she had worked so hard to create. But things changed, as they do, and Anna could not control the increasing commercialization of the holiday. 
Within just a few years, she began to publicly express her concern, scolding the capitalist conversion of the celebration and publicly campaigning against Mother's Day profiteers. She couldn't ultimately control the outcome and the ongoing commercialism of the holiday today challenges us to skew how we see her success. But perhaps success is not the real purpose. And instead, the point is this. Anna had her mind made up, and out of some divine abundance, she continued in the good work to which she was committed of remaking the world. Amen. <laughs>